I'm Pastor Tom Atkinson. I have the opportunity to share with you this morning. And we're, we're going to jump in because I know the past couple services I've gone right up to the end. And I know how hungry it gets at this time. I know how many of y'all are looking forward to getting out of here and getting off to lunch. And so we're just going to jump right in. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to find two books of the Bible. I want you to find Proverbs chapter 6 and then flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Stick your finger in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to get to that later on. We're going to hang out in Proverbs chapter 6. What we're going to talk about is uh, we get to see what Solomon has to say about that four-letter word, work. We get to see how we can live our lives, how we can work with an attitude towards God. So let me jump right in the deep end and say statistics say that 90 percent i'm sorry the average person is going to spend ninety thousand hours of work over their lifetime so if you add that up ninety thousand hours of work over your lifetime is the equivalent of just over 10 years it's like almost 10 and a quarter years of your life end to end are going to be spent in work but what's interesting is that Another statistic says that 80% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs. So this tells me that we are doing stuff on a regular basis that we're dissatisfied with. In fact, of those 80%, those surveyed, 73% say they're only working for a paycheck. So when I look at this, I have to say there's got to be more to our attitude when we approach work. And so what is our biblical you know, understanding how should we approach work, how should we approach what we do that we call work, since it's such a big part of our life. So let me just stop for a second and add this. Work, as we look at it through the scripture, is not limited to just that structured employee idea. It's not just working for the man mindset, okay? It's, it's how we approach whatever it is we have to do. It's, uh, you know, whether it's working in the yard, or, you know, the honey-do list on the weekend, it's, it's work, you know. How do we approach that? The, the book of Proverbs gives us great insight into this concept of work. And so what we're going to do, I want to navigate through this section of Proverbs concerning work. I'm going to stop along the way. I'm going to address several things. So if you're taking notes, let me say I'm, I'm going to make several observations along the way followed by five points of application at the end. I say that because I can get on a roll and people don't know where I'm at. But that's okay because half the time I don't know where I'm at. Okay? And so we're just going to get on this roll. We're just going to roll through it because I've got a ton of stuff that just pour out that's, that's in my brain that just wants to go. So Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to look at this concept called work. Chapter 6, verse 6 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard, Consider its ways and be wise. Then we say, Pastor Tom, why would you jump off on this idea of work by saying, go to the ants? Well, first of all, I didn't say it. Solomon said in his wisdom, and he's saying, look, go to the ants. But what we see here is similar to the advice given by Job to his friends. He says, learn from the birds and the animals. Here Solomon gives the sluggard some instructions. So in order to understand who the instruction is given to, we've got to understand who the sluggard is. Not a term that we generally throw around on a regular basis, but a term that I would love for us to just get used to using. Because what it is, is the lazy person. So from now on, instead of using the term lazy, let's just change our vocabulary and call them sluggards. Are you with me? Can we do this? You know, that's the sluggard at work. 
have them confused. That's the sluggard on the field. You know, football players, instead of calling them lazy, just referring to them as the sluggard. Say, come on, keep up, you sluggard. You know, or, you know, just the person who's just not doing it. You know, it's the lazy person. There's a big difference between being lazy, though, and being tired. So Solomon's not addressing the tired person. He's not saying, hey, you've worked a full week. Uh, you're tired. You're exhausted. That's not what, This is the person he's addressing. It's someone who has work to do, has the ability to do work, and either refuses to do the work or has the wrong attitude about the work he has to do. This is the sluggard. Okay? It's someone... You know, it's someone who just just won't do it. So the advice here is for the lazy person. The teacher says, go and observe the ants. See how they're doing. Watch how the ant lives. Watch the ant and learn at what they're doing. Learn from them. He says, consider their ways. Observe their ways. Look at them. Study them. And here's why. It's not a simple instruction to say, hey, there's an ant pile. Grab your magnifying glass. We're going to have some fun. What he's saying here is, hey, lazy people, you can learn by observing the ant. The teacher doesn't say just look and observe. He tells you some of the things you should notice. In verse 7, he says, It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Three terms there. Commander, overseer, and ruler. Three different levels of authority. And why would he use three different terms. Why wouldn't he simply say, the ant has no one to tell them what to do? The reason he's using three terms is to emphasize that the ant doesn't require a system of control. They, they perform their duties without any administration, with any, without any intricate bureaucracy. The ant is just doing the stuff on her own. She's just going about work because that's what she's supposed to do. Not because her boss is watching or she has bills to pay, but rather because she knows the consequence of not working. She knows that if she doesn't work, she will not have. The ant works in order to gather and prepare. She works so that she has the necessary provisions is because the ant knows that around any corner could be a bad day, could be that, that day full of weather, or the next season in life is full of weather where she's not going to be able to collect and to gather and to store, so she has to be diligent about her work today. So she works in order to be ready. Then we see the teacher turn his attention directly to the sluggard, the lazy person. He says this in verse 9. He says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, it's not sure here if, 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 if the teacher, Solomon's asking how long, and give me a specific amount of time. Like, is it, are you going to lay there for another hour? Are you going to be there for another day? A couple more weeks? How long? Or if it's a rhetorical question where he's saying, seriously, are you ever going to get up? When are you going to get up from what you're doing? When are you going to take part in what's around you? And you've got to understand the context in which this question is being asked. This is an agrarian society, an agrarian, agrarian environment where the harvest is ready. And when the harvest is ready, it requires longer hours than usual. It requires a lot of work, and you just got to put in the hours. Workers must spend long hours so as to not to leave any of the grain in the field too long. 
If they don't harvest at harvest time, the grain will ruin. It'll ruin their crops. It'll ruin what they can store. So they have to work when the working needs to be done. And he's saying you have to do it right now. The sluggard, the lazy person is busy sleeping while there's work to be done. He's more worried about his rest than he is the work. And you can hear the teacher telling the lazy guy, are you going to lie there all day? Are you going to sleep all day? Are you ever going to get up? He's saying if you're sleeping, if you're busy folding your arms and doing nothing, you're going to become poor. You, 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 you're not going to be prepared for what's around the corner. For You're going to face the consequences of not having. One day you're going to come to your senses and you're going to realize that you have nothing. It'll be the same as if you had and it was stolen from you. Now, I don't know if you ever had anything stolen from you and what it, feel like, it feels like to have something stolen. Um, maybe not at gunpoint, but maybe somebody broke into your house and they robbed you or they stole something, broke into your car. I remember shortly after Carrie and I got married, um, I saved up money to buy her a bike. Now, you might say that's not the most romantic gift. I wasn't trying to be romantic. I was just trying to buy my wife a bike. So here's her bike. She has her bike. And I didn't have enough money for a bike, so somebody gave me a bike so that as a young married couple, we could spend the afternoons, get home from work, hey, you want to go for a bike ride? It wasn't like this awesome plan. It was just a chance to get out and do something. It's just, let's go see the neighborhood because looking at houses is just so much fun. Um, but we would get on our bikes and we would just go and just have a good time being together. And then we would lock them up out front and go about our ways. But I remember one morning, I go out to go for a ride and the bikes are gone. They're just stolen from in front of my condo. They're gone. And I, I remember I ran out to the parking lot of the complex because, you know, I had this thought that maybe they're still in the parking lot because that's what bike thieves do. They just ride around in the parking lot. And I was going to be the hero. Look, I have found the bikes. But what was really going on is they were gone. They were gone, and I remember coming back to the, to the house, the condo, and here, here's some of the things I remember feeling. I felt frustrated. I felt frustrated because they're gone, and I'd worked hard for the one, and the other one was a gift, and I really liked those things. I liked the bikes, and they're gone, so I was frustrated. I was violated. I felt violated because someone took the bikes, and there's nothing I can do about it. They're, they're not here. I remember being scared because in order for them to get to the bikes, they had to get right next to my front door where they were locked up. They had to come inside my fence. They stole my bike, and because it was locked up just there, you know, I, I was like, this is not safe. And now they're gone, and there's nothing I could do about it, so I felt helpless. I felt helpless because the bikes are gone, not just my bike, but Carrie's bike. They're gone. There's nothing I can do. And there were so many thoughts that I, I wish I had done better. You know, I, I wish I had bought a better lock. I wish I would, had put a lock maybe on the gate. So many things I wish I had done better. But at this point, there was no sense in me going to the store to buy a better lock. They're gone. There's no sense worrying about how I could secure my bikes better at this point because it was gone. They'd been stolen from me. And what the teacher is saying here is, look, the poverty is going to come upon you, sluggard, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, and there's going to be nothing you can do about it. It's going to be gone. You won't have. The teacher says, look, lazy person, it's going to be gone so quick. 
that you're going to be left with nothing but a lot of emotions and nothing you can do about it. Then he shifts his gears again, shifts his direction. This time, his attention is not on the lazy person, but on the dishonest person. We read in verse 12, he says, A troublemaker and a villain. A troublemaker and a villain who go about with a corrupt mouth, who wink maliciously with his eye, signal with his feet, and motion with his finger, who plot evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant, and he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Two things really stood out. The fact that he used the term troublemaker and villain. I thought, how cool would it be if we got back to saying words like that? That troublemaker. Or if we turned on the news and they said, the villains tonight. You know, okay, you got my attention. We're talking about villains. It's just such a cool word. The villains and the troublemakers. And what he's saying is, these are the people that have the reputation for being up to no good. This is the person that you know you should avoid. And the teacher gives us reasons why these are bad people. And he says they have corrupt mouths. This is the liar. This is the complainer. This is the bragger. The person that you can never trust what's coming out of their mouth. And we always have to question, is that truth or not? Is it just made up? Are they just telling stories? Or, you know, I just can't trust the mouth. What, what comes out of that mouth is so corrupt. He says, this is the person who winks maliciously, and this is the sign of insincerity or deceit. This is where, you know, I'm making you the deal. If you know what I mean, it's a good deal. Just go ahead and jump in. It's that wink of maliciousness, like I just can't trust this person. And he said, this is the person who signals with his feet. And I said, what does that mean? Because I want to know what it is. If somebody signals with their feet, if I'm about to buy a car, I want to be able to look at their feet. Is he signaling with his feet? Is he being honest with me? And as I looked at it, I realized they really don't have much information as to what that means. But it's in there. And it's really the only point in the Bible that we see this signaling with his feet. But what it means is kind of like the wink. It's malicious. It's, it's insincerity. But then he says, and motions with his finger. Now this one I believe is still alive in our culture today. It may not be what you think. But here's why I said this is really why I've seen this play out, where they do something with their fingers. And this is where if you've had kids or been around kids and they try to make a promise and they don't want to keep up that promise, what do they do? They cross their fingers. And they're like, no, I promise. I, I cleaned my room. I'm like, really? <laughs> I crossed my fingers. And you go, okay, I need to see all ten digits. Look me in the eyes. Come on. Did you or didn't you? Like, I promise. And then they start chuckling, yeah, my shoelaces were crossed or whatever. You know, you're going, come on, man. Seriously. Just be honest about what you're doing. But what he's saying is these are the people. They motion with their finger. He says, they plot evil and deceit in their hearts, and they always stir up conflict. Now, you know, I haven't been a pastor my whole life. I've worked with people like this. I don't currently. Okay. But I've worked with people like this where you're going out of their mouths. You can't trust anything. It always seem like they're up for something. They're always trying to work an angle at something. You just can't trust them. And they're always plotting something. And the teacher says, uh, this list has been given. And it's a great list not only of things for you to avoid, but the people that live this way should be avoided. 
These are the type of people you need to avoid. It, it's easy to reflect on ourselves and, and, and see how we measure up to this list. But what about the people we hang out with? What about the people we associate with on a regular basis? Are they on this list? Do they live this way? Because he says, look, disaster is headed their way. He says disaster, and it's not just a little bit of disaster that's heading their way. To be specific, he says, it will destroy, this disaster, disaster will destroy, and there will be no remedy for it. He says what they're doing is so bad, there's not going to be a remedy for how they're acting. That's why he's saying you've got to stay away from this kind of people. You know, you've experienced, no, no matter what goes on, these are the people that aren't happy. From job to job, they're always unhappy about how things are done. They're making up stories after stories, and they just can't be trusted. So the teacher uses this example to show us what and who to avoid. And so we, we looked at the scripture, and now it, it's time to say, so what do we do with all this information? We've, we've dissected it. How do we take this and do something with it? There's so much of this text that addresses the lazy person. My hope is that in here today, that's not you, but maybe you know the lazy person, that we're all hardworking people. How do we live this out? But the truth is that we can be lazy. You know, as much as I'm saying, that's not us. We can become lazy. And if we give in to that laziness before, we can really become the sluggards. Not just I had a lazy day. I'm the guy who's just not going to do anything. I've given up all hopes. I'm not going to get involved. So how do I keep from being that person? How do I go about diligently working in the things I have to do? Five things of application. Five simple things that we're going to just unpack here for the rest of the time. And the first is this. It starts with you have to pay attention. It's kind of like going to church. It's no good going to church and just sitting there and going through the motions. You have to pay attention. So if you're just going through the motions right now, it's time to pay attention. Okay, it's time to wake up, get going. You have to pay attention. And here's what he says to the ant. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Go to the ant. Observe the ant. Pay attention to how the ant is living, he's saying. He says, what are the things we need to pay attention to? You know? Well, we need to pay attention to how hard the ant is working. And we have to do the same thing. How, are the, how hard are the people around us working? You know, what are they doing that I'm not doing? What are the things they perform on a regular basis that's helping them achieve and helping them work harder? How is it they're doing? What is the diligence of the people around us? And it, it, he's saying, look, do you spend your time trying to figure out how to work best? Or do you spend your time trying to figure out how to work less? You know, do you spend more time thinking about how I could be better at what I do or more time trying to figure out how I can do less? How can I get out of work? You know, according to a study by Edward Jones, the financial group, they said people spend more time planning their vacations than their retirement. I was like, okay, so to get this right, people are spending more time worrying about how to get away from work than how to work to provide. They're spending more time and energy, and how do I get away from this place for a couple of days? How do I get out of work for a week instead of worrying about how I'm going to provide, how I'm going to have enough to take care of me? Proverbs 28, 19 says this, those who work the land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasy will have their fill of poverty. Those who work the land will have, a, have abundant food, but those who chase fantasy 
will have their fill of poverty. And how many times have we heard somebody say, or how many times have we said, if I could just win the lottery, I would. You know, and fill in the blank. If I won the lottery, I would. And whether it's just you know, a pipe dream or just casual conversation, how often do we fantasize on, if I just had that abundance, I would. Or how often have we said, if I were the boss, I would run it this way. And see, what we do is we enjoy thinking about the benefit of hard work without the hard work. We like to fantasize and look at, if only I were in control, if only I had the things that I wished for, instead of focusing on how can I work harder. And the teacher says, look, pay attention to what the ant does. Look at how she prepares for her future. Look at how she's working to make sure all things are taken care of. Pay attention. It's not just noticing, but it's fully exploring. It's discovering whatever there is to know about the things around you. Paying attention to how, you know, no one had to convince the ant to work. No one taught the ant to work. The ant just worked because the ant knew that in order to get through the winter, the ant, in order to survive, the ant needed to go about its ways. And here's what I believe. I believe God equipped each and every one of us with the ability to understand. That you and I have the ability to understand, to comprehend, to take things in and say, okay, I can figure this out. To look around us and comprehend the world as God has put it into motion. And this principle pays dividends as we approach work. That we can say, how are people getting ahead versus what I'm doing? How can I change what I'm doing in order to work harder, to work better, to have the best outcome? Think about this. The same God that gave the ant the desire and the ability to work is the same God that we have a relationship with. It's the same God that created this universe and put us on and said, I have put you here with a plan and a purpose. I have called you with a special calling to work. And then we have to just work out what he's called us to do. He says, study the things around you. Look at the ant. Look how wise it is. You too should be wise. Now get busy. Pay attention to how hard the ant works and go work. The second thing is this. You you have to get involved. We have to pay attention, and you have to get involved. He says in verse 9, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? And when I read that, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Here's what I hear. Here's the internal talk that's going on inside of me. How long will you lie there? The garage is not going to clean itself. I'm going, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we can, we can create a self-cleaning oven, but we can't create a self-cleaning garage. Technology has failed us. <laughs> to which all men go, amen. <laughs> How much we wish things would just take care of themselves. If only my lawn would stop growing. If, if only my caseload at work would diminish. If only, if only, if only, fill in the blanks, we come up with the if onlys in life saying, if only this were better. If only I didn't have to. And what he's saying is, you got to get up, you got to get involved. You can't just expect it to pass by and hope things are going to take care of itself. Really, the only way to complete a task is to start the task. You have to start it, and you have to see it to completion. 
You can't just hope it's going to happen. You have to get involved. I have a deck in the backyard of my house that desperately needs painting. And I bring that up to say, if you're doing nothing next weekend, I sure would love for that deck to get painted. Um, if only. I've even gone as far as to buy the paint. It's in my garage. And now I'm hoping at some point these two meet each other. And they have a happy relationship. And I really hope that I don't have to be involved. You know, I'm going to say, deck, paint, paint, deck, get to know each other. It would be so awesome if that's all I had to do is buy the paint, bring it home, then miraculously it gets painted. But it's not going to happen unless I actually get out there and start painting the deck or some of you show up next weekend. Whichever. <laughs> you know, no matter how much I hope that my deck is going to get painted, it's not going to happen unless I get up and get busy painting my deck. And the consequence of that is if I wait too long, then, you know, if I wait, hopefully someone else is going to paint my deck, what's going to happen is my deck is going to start rotting. The wood is start going to get out. And before I know it, all the, all the labor and the money that went into building this deck is ruined. All the hard work that goes into it is out the door. It becomes useless. Destruction will come to the deck if I don't get involved and do something. And the same principle is true with all of our work, whether it's the honey-do list or the tasks we have at the office or whatever it is we do, if I choose to be lazy, I will suffer the consequence of being lazy. Proverbs 21.25 says this, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. The, the craving of the sluggard, the craving to do nothing, the craving to be lazy will be the death of of the sluggard because his hands refuse to do work. He says, get up. How long are you going to lie there? The teacher asks. Then he goes on to say, Proverbs 13, chapter, four, uh, chapter 13, verse 4 says this, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. It's as if the sluggard's saying, if only, if only, if only, while the diligent are saying, it's done. It's done. Third thing. Third thing is that you have to form good habits. You have to form good habits. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. According to statistics, our nation has a lot of problems. One of the biggest problems we have is sleep. Okay? We are a sleep-deprived country. Okay? To which the teenagers say, I see no problem. I get plenty of sleep. But it's true. We're sleep-deprived. And one of the reasons we're sleep-deprived is because we live in a 24-7 society where we have access to the world at our fingertips. There, there's many more opportunities to do things other than sleep. See, I remember when TV went off the air. You know, they would play the Star Spangled Banner, and it was gone. It was static till morning. And not no more. Now i got, I don't know how many, 250 billion channels of nothing going on all night long. I can watch every infomercial, infomercial three or four times and still not buy it. But I, I had the access to watch it. 
And not only that, we have 24-hour cable TV, we have the internet, we have emails. And what we've even done as a society is we've shifted our work so that we can work around the clock. We have swing shifts, we have work at home, we have build your own schedule, just make sure it gets done attitudes that has us working around the clock. And several large studies have linked sleep, uh, the sleep deficit with poor work performance, driving up accidents, adding to relational problems, mood problems like anger and depression. Our sleep affects so much more. Bad sleeping is not the only bad habit. I mean, bad sleeping habit is not the only bad habit that can affect work. What about procrastination? What about social media addiction? What about bad manners? Our bad habits can affect work. And if we don't address our bad habits and we don't work on developing good habits, we can find ourselves in a conundrum when it comes to work. One of the biggest uh, next to sleep that we face is technology, our habit of technology. We get involved with our gadgets. And I'm just going to confess, I love my gadgets. In fact, you know, I, I teach off of an iPad. I'm just going to be honest with you. I forgot to put on airplane mode the last service. And what happens is if I don't put on airplane mode, then whoever texts me pops up on the screen. And so I'm sitting here trying to preach last service, and I'm getting updates on my son's football game. I'm going, okay, focus, squirrel, wonder how he played. Uh, oh, there's people. I have to keep teaching. Okay. And so I love my gadgets. I love gadgets. And, and, and here's what happens when worlds collide. When you have a sleep problem, and, and I have a sleep problem because I like to stay up and work and do stuff and watch TV because I've seen the reruns a thousand times, but just one more time, you know. And I have a tech problem. And, and back about Christmas, my wife got me a Fitbit. And not only does it track exercise, but it tells you how well you sleep. And so we got into this habit of asking each other on occasion, hey, how well did you sleep? And so about three or four weeks ago, I get a text message from my wife. And being glued to my gadget, being glued to my phone, I check it. And there's the question, how well did you sleep? And, you know, I'm busy doing something. I go back to texting. In the meantime, I had gotten another text message from, from Justin Garcia, our youth intern. And he had, you know, we conversed on a couple of things. And I'm thinking, i got to answer my wife. So I automatically just go in and say, had a great night of sleep. And I put in, you know, fell asleep at such and such an hour. I woke up at such an hour. It was awesome. Then I realized that I sent it to Justin. <laughs> to which, and you know, on like an iPhone, you can tell when somebody's typing into it. And you can see, okay, what's taking so long? <laughs> and I'm just trying to envision because I'm going, oh, what have I done? I'm such an idiot. This is very awkward. We're not that close. <laughs> and here I am just going, man, hey, sunshine, had a great night of sleep. <laughs> um, I'm just going, what is going through his mind? What must he be thinking about? Pastor Tom is such an idiot. How do I say that nicely? You know, how do I get through this? And he, he was so awesome. He just said, that's great. <laughs> to which I'm going through that. So I, I'm just so sorry. That was meant for my wife. Awkward moment. We bonded, though. It was good. Um, but see, we... We have so much inundating and so much habits that can come about that all of a sudden we're caught up in stuff. And here's the deal. The problem is not sleep or technology. When things become a problem is when a habit takes over and our normal responsibilities get neglected. 
It's when we don't sleep enough that our normal responsibilities get neglected. It's when we're addicted to the, the technology, when we're online, when we're not supposed to be online, and our normal responsibilities get neglected. So the teacher here in Proverbs says, look, a little bad habit here, a little bad habit there, and before you know it, poverty will come upon you in a very unpleasant way. Proverbs 20, 13 says this, Do not love sleep, or you'll grow poor. Stay awake, and you'll have food to spare. And what he's saying is not work the endless hours. He's saying, though, get your rest and get to work. Don't love it too much. Don't let it take over from your responsibilities. Fourth thing, this, and we're just going to breathe through this. We're just going to, you have to work with integrity. You have to work with integrity. He says the troublemaker, the villain, he has the corrupt mouth. He winks maliciously. He signals with his feet, whatever that means. He motions with his finger. He plots evil and deceit in his heart, and he stirs up conflict. And so we're called as Christians to work with integrity. We're called to work with a representation of the Christ that we claim to have. So how do we show integrity at work? It's really simple. You work when you're supposed to work. Now, I'm not stuttering. I'm not. You work when you're supposed to work. It means when you show up and you punch in, it's time to go to work. Okay? It, it says, I'm going to save the socializing and the snacking and the searching the internet and the personal phone calls. I'm going to save all that for break time or after work. You know, I need to focus on what I'm here to do. I work when I'm supposed to work. It means I adhere to the company policies and procedures. It says, I'm responsible to do what I say I'm going to do. And if I make a mistake, I'm going to own that mistake. I'm not going to blame other people or other circumstances. I'm going to own it. It says you don't accept praise or claim for someone else's work. You don't steal ideas. And when asked to make a bad business deal, you walk away from it. In our business dealings, it says to have integrity, make sure everything's on the table, nothing's hidden, that we're not trying to you know, circumvent something for our gain, but we're going to act with integrity. And let me just add that if your company asks you to do something against your personal code of conduct, your integrity has to be challenged. You have to say, either I'm going to go along with it and ruin my integrity or refuse what they're asking me to do and know that God has my back. You know, maybe it's time, too, if they're asking you to do stuff like that, you find a more ethical company to work for. And like Dwayne talked a few weeks back about integrity, he says, our integrity is our character. Our integrity is who we're made up of. It's our character. Our actions need to match what we proclaim. It says, it means if I claim to be a follower of Christ, then my actions will reflect my desire to honor Christ. If I, if I claim to be a Christian, if I claim to be a disciple of Christ, then my actions at work are going to mirror that commitment. Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks with integrity walks securely but whoever takes the crooked path will be found out fifth point the final point is this you have to determine your motivation you have to determine your motivation colossians 3 23 i asked you to put your finger in there when we started turn there real quick and it just says this as you're turning there whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. 
whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Whatever you do simply means whatever you do. Whether it's the honey-do list, whether it's the tasks around the house, whether it's your chores that your parents have asked you to do, whether it's on the sports field that your coach is pushing you to do, whether it's in the office or, or out in the field, whatever you do, you do with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. How would our attitude change if Christ were conducting our annual performance review? If we had to sit down with Jesus and he said, okay, here's the areas that you measure up and here's the areas I need you to work on. Would we work on those areas or would we simply just uh, hope to get through the review and make it another year to address the same things? If we were working for Christ, the chances are we're going to want to change because Christ loves us so much that he gave his whole life for us. He didn't do it half-heartedly. He did it wholeheartedly. And our attitude should be as if we're working for Christ and not for an earthly master. We should set our standards by which we want to live up to and have them reflect our love for Christ. The challenge here, and I'll leave you with this, the challenge is, are you willing to show up to work tomorrow? Whatever it is, whether it's at home or whether it's the office or out in the field or whatever it is you do, are you willing to show up tomorrow as if you're doing it for the Lord? Not to impress your boss, not to seek a raise, but because it's the standard that you, as a follower of Christ, have been asked to follow. I ask you to bow your heads. Now, I don't know what God's saying to you. I don't know what he's asking through his word, but what is the next step that you need to take? See, I believe everyone has the next step. Everyone has the opportunity and the desire to do something, that next step. How does God want you to respond to this message? It may be simply praying for forgiveness of what our attitude has been. It could be saying, God, give me strength to just live for you again this week. But whatever it is, we have that next step. You may need to start a relationship with Christ. And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to give you that opportunity. Or you may simply just need to pray with someone. Maybe you're carrying a burden. Maybe something so big financially or spiritually or physically is, is, is just weighing on you. And you just need someone to pray with you. In just a minute, we're going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, our prayer partners are going to come forward. I'm going to invite you to come up. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do to take that next step, I encourage you to do that. Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Lord, give us your spirit, Lord, to direct us on what that next step is in life. Whether it's an attitude change or a heart change, Lord, let us just be faithful in following you. Give us the courage, Lord, to take that next step, to live according to how you've called us to live, to be who you've called us to be. Father, let's not, give us the strength not to put it off another day, but to just make it right today. It's in your holy name I pray, amen.